Super. Am I on? Hey, good morning, everybody. My name's Ben, if you don't know me. I think I'm officially the tallest person in the church, but, you know, we, we can test that one later if you want to try after, after the meeting. Um, what a fantastic time of worship you've had this morning, wasn't it? It felt really powerful to be back together, to be singing, to be praising and worshipping God um, together. So, um, quick story. Where's our Welsh man in the room? There's a few Welsh people in the room. We had, a, we had the ability to go to Wales this summer. Um, and someone suggested that we should go for a swim in a quarry. Never done that before. Great idea. Cold. We all went, kitted up with wetsuits. Some kids went with uh, bodyboards. Why you need those in a quarry, I'm not sure. But it was good fun. Went swimming. I went in in my wetsuit about 15 minutes or so. I'd been in the water. Yeah, it was cold. But swam across a few times. And Abigail said, I want to go in. I want to go for a swim. Can I go on your back? thought, yeah, great. I've never had a problem with that up until now. We headed out into the middle of the quarry, at which point Abigail insisted that she didn't want to go into the middle. I was pretty disappointed. I like that kind of thing. Come on, let's go, let's go. She insisted and she insisted, so I decided to turn back. As I swam into the shallows, I found that my energy started dropping very, very fast. In fact, I found myself unable to keep myself afloat. And I've never been in that position before. Um, And as I tried to keep myself up, I found that Abigail moved each time to higher my back, and I went further into the water. At that point, I got pretty nervous, and the scariest bit was I couldn't even say to her, stop moving, and I couldn't reach to pull her because my energy had gone that much that I, I found myself struggling. And I just about managed to say to somebody who was a few meters away, like, drag me in, because I just couldn't get the words out. And I've never been in that position before. Um, and it was, it was terrifying, and I went into a slight amount of shock um, afterwards. Um, but what I learned later, learning afterwards, was that sub-15 degree temperature water, your body begins to kind of close down on some of its blood flow, especially to extremities, which when you're swimming, that's the bits you need the most. And so my, my energy was sapping, and I was literally going under the water. And I realized... obviously this is no revelation to anybody really, but the the oxygen we breathe needs to get to where we need it most. In fact, it's oxygen that is the thing that keeps us alive. No oxygen, no life. And that moment really brought that home to, to me. And it's the same with the Spirit of God, isn't it? That where the Spirit of God is, there is life. Where God breathes, there is life. And where he doesn't, and where that isn't there, actually we don't have what we need for life. Jesus grew up reading the Torah, the Jewish scriptures. And in the Hebrew, it uses the word ruach for spirit. The ruach is, can be translated a few ways, but breath, wind, spirit can be some of the translations. Breath, wind. There's something about the ruach of God that like when we breathe in the oxygen that gives energy to our body, so when we receive the spirit of God, we receive the energy and the life that we need for living. I'm going to read to you from Acts 2, like absolutely well-worn path for a church like ours, but let's, um, let's read this passage together, and I might add a few ha's in there for a peep, but uh, memoir, seeing as he's normally the man to speak on this kind of a topic. Acts 2, 1-13, says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly A sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages or tongues as the Spirit enabled. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Edomites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, that other one, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, just made fun of them and said, huh, they've had too much wine. As in the story of creation, when God breathed life into Adam, so at Pentecost, God breathed his life into the church. As God spoke about of the people of Israel in the Valley of Dry Bones to Ezekiel, where they were... uh, Worried that they were, were dead and dying and, and, and isolated. And, and God said, look, I will pour out my spirit and you will come to life. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. You know, and so we know that without the life of the spirit, all life would be withdrawn from the church. But with the presence of the spirit, so we have life and empowerment, encouragement, and even more than that. John Stott says this, there isn't any life without the life giver. There isn't any understanding without the spirit of truth. No fellowship without the unity of the spirit. No Christ-like character apart from his fruit. And no effective witness without his power. Spirit baptism is not some optional extra, is it? It's an essential part of what we're doing. In fact, see some other New Testament teachings. It's essential to being fully connected to God, to being accepted and sealed in Christ in Ephesians 1. It's an, it's an essential part of a normal Christian birth, to becoming a born-again Christian in John 3. It's part of becoming a child of God, adopted into his family, knowing God's love so deep in our hearts in Romans 8. It's part of being an active and full member of the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. It's part of being fruitful in Christ in Galatians 5. And it's part of God's kingdom coming to earth, again from John 3. You see, Jesus is the one who gives the spirit. It's part of what he died and lived to achieve. And in Acts 1 it says, Jesus himself said, it's the promise of the Father. It's a promise. It's part of the covenant life with God that he promises to pour out his spirit. And in fact, it's a promise not only for you, but for your children And for all who are far off, God wants to pour out his spirit and his life as part of the covenant. In the early church, when people began to believe in Jesus as Messiah, they were baptized in water and baptized in the spirit. Sometimes the other way around. But either either way around, those two things were very, very close together. I wonder for you if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if that's something that you would like today. But one of the major things I think is really important is that one of the main differences between us being a vision with a punchy 
vision statement, sorry, a business with a punchy vision statement, or being a, an organization with a plush organizational chart, or uh, being an, a club with a nice membership, or being a family with clear biological ties, or even being a self-help group that manages to radically reorganize our lives, we've got the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit of God that makes every bit of difference. It's the presence of God amongst us. The spirit of family. The spirit of freedom. The spirit of fruitfulness. The spirit of prayer. The spirit of power. The spirit of love. And the spirit of life. It's the spirit, isn't it, that makes every ounce of difference in what we're doing. And I just want to re-emphasize that. The outpouring of the spirit wasn't just prophesied as the plan of God, but it's part of his promises in which we can be absolutely confident that God does and he will and he will again pour out his spirit on all flesh. If you've drawn near to Jesus in faith and even you've been baptized in water, God wants to draw near to us and give us that gift of his spirit. And he said how much more he would give those who asked and those who want, for those who are hungry, the spirit who will empower us into life, into truth, into unity, into Christ-like character, and also into witness in the world, as Theo well said last week. And I think it's important to emphasize that this isn't just an individual thing. Pentecost was a community event. All gathered together in one place, and all were filled with the Spirit together. It was a creation of community, uh, a creation of family. It was more than just something for one person. And so it is for us. Our acceptance by God through the Spirit is into family and community, into acceptance amongst a body of believers. And our unity hangs upon events like this. In the early church, some of the people were added to the number because they believed in Jesus, but they knew they were fully accepted when the other believers went, whoa, they've been filled with the Spirit too. Like, we can't deny that God is at work and accepting people through the power of the Spirit. The Spirit's the very breath we share, as Christ is the blood that we have in our bloodstream together. David Pawson says this, The church is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This word, the Greek word koinonia, means far more than having a discussion followed by tea and biscuits, or I suppose in our case, a song and a sermon. This word's used of Siamese twins sharing the same bloodstream, or partners in a business whose financial fortunes will rise or fall together. It is mutual interdependence, sorry, I'll say that again. It's mutual interdependence to a very high degree. The life of the church is the life of the same spirit coursing through each and every member. Without that baptism in the spirit, the life is simply not there. The church may have a reputation for being alive because of lively activity, but in reality, it's dead, like the church in Sardis in Revelation 3. Now, I don't fear for us as a church community that we're without the Spirit. But I do want to ask that question over these last couple of years. Have we dropped the importance 
of the place and the work and the power of the Spirit of God in our lives, empowering us towards life. Like, have we gotten a bit lost or have we just not felt that vitality, that, that empowerment, that place of God working in us towards life? Because lots of us haven't. There have been lots of times this year where I have not felt that. And I know I've spoken to other people in the community who have not felt that. And there's a sense where maybe there are times where we don't feel the Spirit of God all the time, but there will be times of refreshing. There will be times of refreshing. And over the last couple of years, obviously there's been loads of talk, hasn't there, about what church is really about. Perhaps more than I've ever known. A whole load of viewpoints being shared about what we as a community or as the church at large should be doing. Lots of strong opinions being raised about the church being X, Y, or Z, and fingers being pointed or whatever. Okay, there's been a whole lot of things, haven't there? Some of it's been healthy and has been brilliant, and some of it, not so much. I don't know how much of that you've experienced or not, but you can see it around. For some, there's been revelation and direction and insight, and yes, for other people, it's been dizzying and disorienting and actually quite divisive. I don't know where you are in that. And sadly, some people have gone as far as even what we might say deconstructing their faith. Some people have questioned everything to the point where they've got nothing left they can call Christianity anymore and wondering what on earth really matters. But I think that is what's really important. And we have to be careful, don't we? We need to work out what really matters. Simple. What really matters? We need to explore the hard questions. We need to ask hard questions. We need to be willing to accept the difference of opinion and the strength of opinion. Yes, but as long as it's about putting the right things in the right perspective, in the right place, and putting the importance on the things that really matter and that foster greater unity in, for, and to Christ. And learning then to deal with what else happens in between. I'm reading a book at the moment called The Legacy, it's a fictional book, um, all about the story of a dead father who leaves his world with three dysfunctional kids. And the children are given the ability to decide what happens with the will. They are given the decision, which is an interesting one to make. And there's a moment where the three siblings are, are arguing amongst themselves, and they suddenly get to a point where they realize that actually what they're doing is childish bickering. It's descended from a reasonable, good conversation about meaningful things into just mindless arguing about things that don't really even matter. It's like an awkwardness in the room as they begin to realize what has been happening. And the problem is we can all easily fall into that, can't we? In loads of areas, married life, family life, about money, and in work, and we can all find ourselves in positions where we have lost sight of not just talking about what really matters, but we get caught in the weeds uh, of some of those things that may not really matter, or might just matter a little bit less, even if you feel that really strongly. And I think this next period of time for us is, as has been a lot of the, the journey this year, is, is about finding perspective. It's about landing on what really matters. That question, 
is something I really want to be a part of who we are. I can't go into a detailed explanation of, of some of those things that do and don't matter, but asking that question, how much does this thing that I'm angry about, cross about, my opinion, how much does it matter? How much does it really matter? It's an important reflective question to be asking. In the big scheme of everything, how much does this really matter? And that helps us to put things into a, a, a good place and a good perspective. Um, the truth is most issues in life are important to some extent, aren't they? There's importance. I'm not saying that there's some issues that matter and some issues that don't. It's important that we as a church work out who we are, what we're focusing on, how we're going to do it, who's doing what. Like, that's important. It's, it's very important. But there's some things about just not getting caught, isn't it? Maybe it's the way that we approach it more than anything. Because over history, haven't churches got caught in fighting too many times? People have gotten confused or caught up in an issue, and it's caused all kinds of ruptures. Or across churches, people have played my denominations better than yours. And actually some of the big issues that really matter get lost because they get focused on this one thing that causes division. And we don't want to do it, do we? We know in those places we end up losing something of the spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of unity, the spirit of maturity, the spirit of mission and witness, and the spirit of life. And so our unity hangs, doesn't it, to some extent on how much we can answer that question, does this really matter? Because where the spirit is poured out, we then work that out, don't we, in, in practice. And I wonder where you are this, this, this year. If you've been caught up and you've been dizzied by not being together, by all of the various issues of what church is or isn't and what really matters, um, or if you're coming out of this enlivened and, and ready to go, I don't know where you are. But as N.T. Wright says, we have to learn to tell the difference between differences that make a difference and differences that don't make a difference. It's a really important thing for us to pursue. Between what we might call primary issues, really important issues, maybe secondary issues, or even tertiary issues. Between, some people have said, issues that are written in pencil, issues that are written in pen, and those that are written in blood. We have to continue the conversation, don't we, about how much these things really matter. And there are some differences that maybe it's right to divide over. But there are others where maybe they're just differences we need to learn to accept without judgment. Because we are united in the spirit. And so I think it's true that the measure of life, truth, unity, maturity, character, and the witness that we experience and walk together in as church hangs on a question like that. And our me the, the measure of our desire and effort to walk in truth and unity, maturity, that mission, will actually to some extent impact the, the outpourings of God and his spirit on and to us towards that. Because he wants to help us towards those ends. And so just briefly, in access some useful wisdom that we're going to talk about more over the coming weeks. But the believers were united in being filled by the spirit. They were united in praising the same God. It was the praise of God that came out of their lips when they were filled. They were united in their preaching of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. They were united in prayer. They were united in communion and their remembrance of the death and resurrection. And they were united in a fellowship 
out of which they gave their possessions to help the poor. They were generous and they were sincere about the community's needs. Like I say, we'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. You see, anything that begins to diminish the presence and the praise of God, the preaching of Christ, our devotion on the apostles' teachings, devotion to communion, to prayer, and all of those things is moving us in the wrong direction. And we want more of the Spirit. We want to move into that together, don't we? So we need all of those elements working together. Ultimately, unity is going to be, ultimate unity is going to be beyond what we are capable of. But it's what Jesus died for, and it's what the Spirit is empowering us towards. And so we should make every effort, even where there are honest differences of opinion, we need to work those things out carefully so that we work with the Spirit of God to achieve the plans and the promises of God and to receive more of his spirit to that end. So I'm just going to finish with this. Our very life and our unity depend on the presence of God and on the baptism of the spirit. For freedom, for family, for life, for love, for power, for prayer, for effective witness. And as we gather together back again, actually there's a, there's a, a symbol of us gathering together that hopefully reflects some of the inner desire which is for us to continue to grow together as family. And this morning, we, I think this has already happened in part, but we want to call on the Spirit of God to fill us again. There's one body under one Lord with one Spirit towards his work and towards his, his ways. Um, and so we're going to worship again. We're going to spend some time calling on God. If you feel you've got stuck in the weeds these last couple of years and you feel like you need a fresh feeling of God again, we want to pray and we want to expect that God will fulfill his promise. If you've never been filled with the Spirit and you want to be fully accepted into the body of Christ, we want to pray for you this morning. We're going to make space for that. And if you feel there's some things that you've not been helping You've gotten stuck yourself. You feel like maybe I got into some of the bickering about some things and gotten a bit caught. Do you know what? Today's a day to find some release and some forgiveness and, and a place of life in that. That we might gather together as a family of God. Okay. Should we pray? So we say, come, Lord Jesus. Father, we know in the places as a community where <clears throat> there is dryness, 
where there may even be a sense of death. Where there's been any division, any unhelpful being caught in the weeds of some of these scenarios. We know you understand everything. And God, we know you want to lift us. We know you want to pour out your spirit for life, for truth, for unity, for maturity, and for mission. God, that we might not lose sight and therefore lose impact. We ask you to fulfill your promise. To pour out your spirit on all flesh. All flesh. On the young and the old. On the healthy and on the sick. On every member of the community on the rich, on the poor. God, we ask you to pour out your spirit. Help us, Lord, we pray. Speak to us, we pray. Give us wisdom, we pray. Give us power, we pray. that we might see your kingdom come, that we might see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.